how to believe even when we have doubts, because that's what our, our text is really about with Doubting Thomas. Can you believe, the question is, can you believe, can you follow Jesus wholeheartedly while having doubts? Now, my, my answer to that is I certainly hope so, <laughs> because, uh, because that's me, and I think it describes probably everyone here who is a follower of Jesus. There are times when you go through doubts, and there may be always some doubts in the back of your mind. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, and, uh, and it's because of your doubts, or if you're on the verge of walking away from your faith, I think there's going to be a lot here in this passage today. But we're talking primarily to those who consider themselves to be disciples of Jesus. That's where I'm, I'm focused. But have these nagging doubts, and those who maybe are going through a really difficult time uh, with doubts for a number of reasons. So today we're going to focus on the kind of doubt that, because there's all kinds of doubts, but the kind of doubt that wonders whether Jesus is actually who he said he was. Um, we're, we're looking at Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. He followed Jesus for you know, close to three years, a couple, two or three years, uh, he heard Jesus say that he would rise from the dead. And yet, when the disciples tell him that Jesus is alive, he doesn't believe them. Uh, he doesn't believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he would do what he said he would do. The crucifixion had made uh, his, it had, had uh, made his doubt, in, had created the doubt in Jesus. It had shaken absolutely shaken his faith. Now, there are all kinds of reasons for doubting. Some people doubt because they never, really, they never really look. You know, if you talk about Christianity, they might go, well, I don't believe that. And it might be because they've never really looked into it. And why would they if they don't find it relevant to their lives? They, they, you know, we can't expect them to look into that. Um, some people are because they're disappointed with God or they're disappointed with God's people. And that causes them to go, I don't, I don't know if this thing is real. Uh, some, sometimes it's unanswered questions, really big unanswered questions, where we have a big question and it just does, doesn't seem to be any answer whatsoever. Now, some people are, are wired to ask questions. And so, like uh, the people who came up with these, these type of, of questions, what would a chair look like if your knees bent the other way? I don't know. I've been thinking about it all week, and it really... Uh, another one, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to see it, do the other trees make fun of it? Of course, that's not that tough. Next question, what do little birdies see when they get knocked out conscious? I think this is the last one here. Why doesn't Tarzan have a beard? When I saw this question, it really bothered me because I was a real Tarzan fan growing up. And it never occurred to me. Uh, so obviously I, I don't ask enough questions. Now on a more serious uh, note, Thomas knew Jesus personally, and yet the crucifixion shook his belief in Jesus. And the problem is when your belief in Jesus is undermined, what, what happens is other things go with it eventually. Your belief in Jesus is undermined. Um, your commitment to him is undermined eventually. Convictions that you have based on what he said and what he did 
uh, that, gets, that goes out the window uh, eventually. So believing is very important and uh, believing specifically in Jesus. So if most of us are prone to doubt, how can we believe in Jesus even when we have doubts? How can we have strong convictions that shape our lives? How can we, in spite of our doubts, uh, how can we live all out for Jesus in spite of our doubts? Because I think sometimes we think that when I get all my questions answered, then I will live all out for Jesus. When I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that he's true. And uh, that is just probably never going to happen in your life. Uh, unless you're somewhat gullible and just easily believe things. Um, or you just have a special gift of faith. And there are people with the gift of faith. All right, so... Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of the Bibles from the seat rack in front of you. If you have a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. If you're new with us, just uh, want to point out, hopefully you got a new here brochure on your way in, and on the inside is a sermon application guide. Uh, it's got uh, most of the big ideas from the sermon uh, and uh, that you can take with you reflection questions and family discussion questions because almost every week at Five Oaks, the kids are studying the same passage. And they're studying the same passage today uh, that we're studying. So uh, Jesus is about to show himself to Thomas. One week earlier, he had shown himself to the other 12 disciples. We looked at that passage last week. Uh, we're in this series on the uh, Jesus, the risen king, as part of a larger series where we're looking at key passages in the New Testament. So we pick up in verse 24 of John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now the word doubting there is, is I think, an unfortunate choice. It's, it's in some context. I mean, it, it does mean that, but really the, the contrast here is between disbelieving and believing. Uh, and so the, the actual, the word that is there is different from believe by one letter. That in English would be dis, you know, disbelieve. Um, so Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So how do we believe in Jesus with doubts. And the first thing is we have to stay connected. And of course, I'm speaking here to people who are connected, people who have a relationship with Christ, people who profess to be Christians and growing disciples. When we're assailed with doubts, it's really important to stay connected. Thomas had strong convictions. Thomas had strong convictions before the crucifixion. It's a little known fact about Thomas. But back in chapter 11 of John chapter 11, when Jesus hears that Lazarus has died, Jesus says, we're going to go. We're going to go to Lazarus and wake him up. And the disciples are incredulous because Bethany borders right on, on the wall with Jerusalem. 
And Jerusalem is a very dangerous place at this point. This is shortly before Jesus is arrested. It's a very dangerous place for him to be. The disciples were staying outside of Jerusalem. Many times, in reality, they would hide at night so that they couldn't be found. That's why they needed a, a Judas to uh, tell the authorities where he was going to be. And uh, so they're all going, we shouldn't go. But Thomas is the only one that says, no, let's go. And we'll just die with him. Let's just go. Kind of, kind of maybe a little morbid and a little negative. Uh, you know, not, not, not much hope, but there is conviction there. There is courage there. But when we see him in chapter 20, the crucifixion has really thrown him. And um, he wasn't with the disciples earlier. There were 10 disciples there. Judas is gone. Thomas wasn't there. When Jesus first shows up on Easter Sunday and shows himself to them and says many of the same things that he says to Thomas. We don't know why he wasn't there. Uh, it may be, but it's just speculation. It may be that he didn't see a reason to continue gathering because Jesus is dead. And he doesn't believe that he's going to rise. doesn't even conceive of what that even would look like. And, and, and this just goes to show that you are never beyond having your faith rocked by difficult events or circumstances. No matter how strong you are, uh, doesn't matter if you're a missionary to Timbuktu and you've given your entire life to this. Even missionaries, even people who give their entire life, even people who are on the front lines, uh, a Mother Teresa in, in her own journals, people who doubt. You're never beyond having some serious bouts with doubt. So, the disciples... Uh, go and tell Thomas that they have seen Jesus, that he's risen. And the, the force of the grammar is that they have to keep telling him. You know, like they've spent a week telling him that Jesus is risen. And he's not convinced uh, that, that it's true. He's probably driving them a little bit crazy, as you can imagine. Here's 10 people saying we've all seen the same thing, and he's not believing them. But now he's there. He's in the room with them. I've told a story uh, many times of one of our former members from years ago, John Witherspoon, who when he came to Five Oaks uh, was not a follower of Jesus. But he came because his wife was. And he even joined a small group because his wife was. And uh, one day uh, his small group leader came up to me on a Sunday morning and said, hey, Henry, John just told me that he crossed the line of faith this week and he wants to get baptized and he said he also told me that he still has unanswered questions but he's going to to try to find the answers to those questions from within instead of from the outside see he's a he'd made a, a, a decision to follow Jesus but he still struggled with questions I've had an email conversation going this week with someone who uh, used to be connected to a church and to faith and seems to be disconnected now or is disconnected now. And, uh, and so um, at the end of this conversation, kind of back and forth, uh, talking about some pretty big issues and that sort of thing, uh, this person wrote, maybe you'll see me in a seat sometime soon, meaning in here sometime soon. And here's, here's what I wrote back. Uh, I wrote, I find it hard to maintain a Jesus-like perspective on the world and on life. And I'm constantly being discipled more by the world around me than by Christ. Now, what I mean by that, I'm constantly being discipled more by the world around me, is 
something that we talk a lot about here, and that is that in our daily lives, we are bombarded with messages, uh, mostly inadvertently, but many times purposely, that are saying the Christianity thing just doesn't really hold up, but it's not even that. It's more, all that really matters is here, now. All that really matters is this product that we have to sell that can actually you know, change your life or winning in this way. And, 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 and Jesus and the gospel and God, they're, they're, not, they're not part of what we, the air that we breathe on a daily basis unless we intentionally go and get that. And so there is a discipling that's going on, and sometimes very, very intentionally. I mean, there's entire TV shows that if you, you ask the producers about it, they say, we're, we're in this to change people's minds. And it's not to change their minds to become Christians. It's everywhere in our lives. So that's what I mean by that. So I said, I'm, I'm finally, I'm constantly being discipled by the world around me, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> so I know that it's hard for everyone, that I can't do it on my own. I don't think we can do it on our own. Uh, if you want to believe, uh, you know, in spite of your doubts, if you want to move forward and have conviction in your life in spite of your doubts, I honestly don't think you can do it disconnected from other believers. Second, it's important to air out your doubts. You've got to air out your doubts. Thomas not only rejoins the disciples at some point, if he ever left them, he's still with them, but he is, um, he's not pretending He's not with them just kind of going along with the flow. Ten of them are saying, I'm just going to go with it. He is, he is saying, I don't believe it. I have to see it for myself. For myself. Um, and they don't give up on him. They keep telling him, no, it's true. It really is true. Now, the Bible is filled with stories of people of great faith who struggle with some significant doubt. And so you have Abraham man of great faith. But you see at various points in his life where he struggled with significant doubt. David, John the Baptist, was sure about Jesus and then he wasn't sure about Jesus. The Bible airs out their doubts. These are followers who have doubts. Now I think every generation thinks, every new generation thinks that their doubts are unique to themselves. And in a sense, they are unique to themselves. When I was working on my doctorate at Boston University and had a major bout with doubt, the nature of the doubts that I was struggling with had to do specifically with the things that I was learning and the people that I was studying under. Now, it, it felt like, it really felt at that time like there was, there was nobody that I could talk to because I'd just gone through seminary and studied under some great minds and nobody had mentioned any of the stif- stuff I was, I was really struggling with. Uh, and so I thought, they, they, they probably even, they haven't thought about any of this. Uh, I w- it was in particular a, a world-renowned sociologist that I was taking a course from, and we were using a lot of his methods for studying the New Testament. So um, it was like, it seems like nobody is aware of, of this. Now, uh, the reality is that many of them, some of them were. I, I discovered this later, years, years later. They were reading his stuff and they were responding to it in various ways. I just didn't know that. And I know sometimes our students leave here 
uh, and maybe go off to, to college or uh, some training or military or something like that. And while they're there, they get exposed to some things that they just hadn't heard about when they were sitting in here or uh, part of student ministry. And, and it seems like, and, and they get assailed with doubt and they think, there's nobody I can talk to about this because nobody talked about it. My parents, I don't think they would know, especially if they're in a specialized field or uh, in philosophy or something like that. And they wonder, well, my parents aren't going to be able to speak to it. I don't remember my youth pastor ever talking about this sort of thing. And, um, and they may, even if they're in a campus ministry, which I highly recommend for anybody who graduates and goes off to college especially, to get involved in a, coll- in, a, in, a, in a campus ministry, if not a church, ideally a church, but a campus ministry or both, um, they think their campus ministry leaders don't really know what they're going through because their doubts are in this specialized field and they're thinking about it at a level that they don't think anybody else around them is, is thinking. So one of the things I would like to say to anyone in that kind of situation, and to the parents as well because you can pass this message along, is if you're going to chuck your faith... Don't be lazy. You're going to check the faith that you grew up with. Don't be lazy. Find someone that actually knows what you're talking about and air it out. And there are going to be people. If you dig enough, there are going to be people, and it's worth it. I hope you would think that maybe it's worth it before you just throw out the the thing that you have grown up in, even if maybe you haven't made, or maybe you have made a strong commitment. Here's one other thing. Be honest with yourself. Really, be honest with yourself and with your friends and with your family. Don't use doubt as an excuse when actually what it is, it's about sex. It's about partying. It's about money. It's about things like that. So just be honest with yourself. You're not doing yourself or anybody else any favors. So I have some questions that, um, that I think can be helpful, uh, that Uh, can be helpful if you're going through some pretty serious doubts and you're thinking about maybe walking away from your faith. And one of the questions is, on what do you base your new convictions? I mean, there's, there's a whole history within Christianity of the convictions that we as believers have. There's a whole history and thought and thousands of years of some of the most intelligent people in the world um, thinking about these things and believing in them. And you're going to leave for some new convictions that now you're developing. Because it's not just you're leaving something, you're always moving to something, almost always moving to something, or you're, you're probably very, very depressed. Uh, but your, your new convictions, what are the foundations of them? I think it's important to really try to understand them. And, and as part of that question, I would say, and where, when people hold your convictions, where does that usually take them? Where do they usually end up? Just look closely and see where they end up. Here's the second question. It's related to this one. What if you questioned your new convictions with the same passion or vigor that you questioned your Christian faith? It's really easy to, to poke holes into something that there's a, you know, a million people out there poking holes at and just buy into our arguments against Christianity and just, then just take these new convictions and not poke any holes at it at all not really think about what are the problems with the way that I'm thinking? Where is it inconsistent? Uh, One of the things, uh, for example, is a lot of times our doubts come from disappointments with God or disappointments with other believers, with the church. 
that's kind of the, probably most times it's, it's with the church, it's with other believers, church we grew up in, whatever it might be, or a lot of our doubts come from that. So here's, here's the question. So when, when you disappoint someone else, when you don't live up to your own convictions, when you fail in a big way, when you let people down, are you going to chuck your, convi- your new convictions? Does that absolutely mean it can't be true? Because that's what you've done to the church because some people have disappointed you because a lot of people have disappointed you because you look at the church and there's disappointments. You know, it could be that they're just failing to live to their convictions. And we all do. So will you treat your new convictions in the same way that you treat your old convictions? And this last question is one that, that really plays in my mind most personally. And it's this. What is the best of Christianity that if you're honest with yourself you need to leave behind because there's really no grounds for it in your new convictions. This, this is a real important one. It was important for me way back when I was um, go, at Boston University. What will I have to leave behind if I adopt these new convictions? Uh, for, for example, Christianity calls for us models for us, teaches us to be compassionate, merciful, loving, loyal, and honest. And it does so because it says God is all those things, and we've been made in his image, and we are created to reflect his image. All right, so that's, that's the basis of that. Do you really have any basis for any of those things, really, in whatever your new convictions are? Because you probably want to hold on to a bunch of those things. But do you really have a basis for that? Maybe you do, um, but you have to think about that. Now, here's an example of what I mean. I find it really ironic when people say, um, and I don't, I don't mean I mean like in a main way, mean way. I just it's just inside it kind of my heart sinks a little bit because I find it a little ironic when people say I can't I can't follow the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is a is a violent God, and they can turn to some of the examples in Scripture about his violence, and they say he's not loving in these texts. And I can't follow a God like that. And my question, my question is, where did you ever get the idea that God should be nonviolent and loving? You got it from the Bible. There's no philosophy, there's no other religion besides Judaism and Christianity that teaches that in all the history of the world. I mean, there's, there's derivatives that have come out of Christianity and Judaism to teach it, but it's, it goes back to that. Um, there's no philosophy that doesn't have a, a Christian foundation at some point that says God should be a nonviolent God. You're not going to learn that through science. You won't even learn nonviolence through science. You won't learn that by watching nature. You won't learn nonviolence through watching nature. Where, where, where do you get that idea? You get it from the Bible itself. To, to which... To me, it's like, let's wrestle with those tough passages, because there are some tough passages and some tough ideas. Let's wrestle with those. But to kind of chuck the whole thing, you're, you need to ask yourself, what else do I need to chuck if I'm, if I'm going to do that? So how do you believe with doubts you, you, you stay connected, you air out your doubts, you find people to talk to about it, um, you don't have to hide, you don't have to pretend like you don't have doubts. But here's the third thing. You have to understand the nature of belief. You have to understand the nature of belief. What does it mean to believe? Well, let me tell you something um, 
something that it's not and one thing that it is. So first, what it's not. Belief is not about absolute certainty. Uh, if you think belief is about absolute certainty, you can't believe unless you're absolutely certain about something, you have no doubts, and obviously you can't doubt and believe at the same time. But that's not how the Bible talks about belief. And it's really not logically, uh, it's not logical to say that the only way you can believe is if you have absolute certainty because you really can't have absolute certainty about anything. Now, in, in the religious sphere, um, let me give you an example. Let's say for the last five minutes of today's service, God showed up in some kind of biblical type of manifestation. And let's say he affirmed everything that we believe, and he affirmed the Bible, and he affirmed the gospel, and Jesus as his son. He did all of that. He did it in five minutes. Maybe he even healed a few people along the way. Maybe it was Jesus, and he shows the holes in his hands, and he said, anybody wondering, come, come in touch, and see some of you do. And then he disappears. Now do you have absolute certainty? It won't take long before someone says, I think we've been duped. That could have been a trick. Some new technology we're not aware of. Let's say you, you eliminate that. It's not a trick. There's no way. No way. It, 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 it's real. Well, then the next question is, is that being that showed up, how do we know it's really, how do we know he's not just imitating Jesus and he's really God? What if he's an evil being? Or what, um, that's trying to take, take us down a road that's really not good? Christianity. And let's say you eliminate that and you go, well, this just doesn't make sense. And you kind of logically work through that. Um, you might think, you might, even before that, you probably have to go through the idea that maybe you're delusional. <laughs> you know, if you're delusional enough, you could have 100 people around you, 200 people, let's say, you know, 350, 400 people around you going, you're imagining it, and you're hearing, yes, we saw it too. <laughs> but let's see that, that you've, it's not delusional because you've met now for several weeks and nobody's locked you up yet for saying that that was there. Um, how do you know that the being that was here is not just one God among many who, like the Greek gods, is playing a game with us and trying to trick us? I'm sorry if I just absolutely ruined your absolute certainty about anything. Uh, but that's the reality, is that we can't be absolutely certain about anything. And seeing isn't believing. And the Bible makes that really clear. Seeing isn't believing. The Israelites saw God's power, and they constantly fell into disbelief. The Pharisees saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They knew his miracles. And that raising of Lazarus actually, John tells us, precipitated the plot to kill him. Thomas saw Jesus raise other people from the dead. And here he is not believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. Seeing isn't believing. Okay, so what, what is belief? Belief is about deciding. And, and the Gospel of John has a, has a really interesting twist on faith because the noun for faith or belief doesn't occur in the Gospel of John. The belief doesn't occur in the Gospel of John. Uh, it's always a verb form. And when the verb form 
occurs, it almost always occurs with the preposition in or into. Into or can be translated in. So it's always about believing in Jesus. Not always, but almost always about believing in Jesus. Sometimes it's about believing what Jesus taught and believing that he is who he said he is. Now, so believing is more than having, being absolutely certain, having no doubts, having all your questions answered. All those things are good. If you have questions, you should pursue those questions. And it's not, I'm saying, turn your mind off. I don't, I should, I don't think you should either. It's not, it's not a healthy thing. It's not a good thing spiritually or emotionally. But it's not about just knowing about Jesus, although that is essential. I'm not downplaying belief about Jesus. I'm just saying it's not enough. It's not enough. God calls us to put our faith in Jesus. And that's a decision that he calls us to make. So even though Jesus is standing there in front of Thomas, he still tells him, you need to believe. Because you need to believe in me. Not just believe I'm alive. You need to believe in me. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And really, it's it's awkward, so no translation puts it this way. But again, the force of the grammar is, do not disbelieve, uh, is, is do not Become unbelieving, but become believing. Ask him to land the plane. Make a decision. Form some conviction and live from those convictions. Believing is about deciding. It's about forming a conviction. And Thomas forms a conviction. And he confesses it in glorious form. He says, my Lord and my God, which is a really important phrase in the Gospel of John. Because all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 1, that is the case that John has been making. That what we have among us is God living, dwelling, tabernacling among us. And this is the first guy, Doubting Thomas is the first guy to look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. <laughs> to get who he is among his followers. You and I, no one else in the history of the world in the future, since Thomas, is, ha- is going to have the opportunity to touch Jesus in the flesh in this life and have our questions answered. And Jesus understands this. And that's why he says in verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now, if you think that possibly there's a bit of of rebuke in there, there is. He is rebuking Thomas, but he's not rebuking Thomas because he asks for evidence. The whole Gospel of John is about evidence. John tells us, um, I think it's the very end of this chapter. He says, I put, this, I put this Gospel together so that you might believe. This is evidence. And then when it describes his miracles, it talks about them only in John's Gospel. It speaks of them as signs. And by signs, it means signs as to who Jesus is, but even more importantly, signs as to what he's about, what, what his agenda is for the world and for us. So John has no problem with asking for evidence. The the problem, the reason Jesus rebukes Thomas is for failing to believe the witness of the other apostles. Because he's he's in the room with them. He's us in the room with them. He hasn't seen Jesus. And as far as he knows, he's never going to get the chance to see, touch Jesus. And he fails. He fails. That's that's the rebuke. Uh, One commentator says this, Thomas's absence allowed him to function as an example of a future believer 
who had to rely on the testimony of disciples as eyewitnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then the same commentator goes on to say, when Thomas fails, he has undermined his own apostolic witness. He's about to go into the world, and he does. He goes into far reaches of the world, preaching the gospel, and churches form because of Thomas's ministry. <laughs> but in this moment, he is failing to believe with the only evidence that everyone else will believe, and that is the apostolic witness. So Jesus rebukes Thomas, and he reinstates him. That's what this commentator also says. He has to reinstate him as an apostle because he has disqualified himself with his disbelief. Years later, the Apostle Paul would write this. He would say that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And by the way, there's a lot of people today who are trying to just take the last part of that verse. People who have believed in the authority of Scripture all their life seem to be chucking it. And they say, really, all that matters is Jesus. And uh, the, the whole New Testament says, no, it's, it's Jesus, the cornerstone, but then from Jesus comes the apostolic witness. Is what we have in Scripture. It's why we study Scripture. It's why it's important to our lives. It's what gives us a true north and, and, and shows us what life is about and how God sees us and what our lives are about. That's why we do that. So how do you believe? With doubts, you stay connected. You air out your doubts. You understand the nature of belief. It's not about certainty. It's about making a decision. It's about having convictions. You do that in every area of your life. Every single one of us does that. We, it, hopefully, you have some convictions in life. The question is, will you make convictions? Will you have a conviction about belief in, Je belief in Jesus that will change everything? Will you then feed that? Will you be discipled? in understanding the world through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of what God is doing in his entire story, where it all started, the mess that we've made, how he's fixing it, and how he will bring a new creation in the end.